Well, tonight we're continuing our series on Pentecost and the Pentateuch. We'll celebrate the actual day of Pentecost in a few weeks, but as Greg said earlier, in this time between Easter and Pentecost, we're looking at texts from the first few books of the Bible that lead us toward Pentecost. I'm going to be reading some verses tonight from Exodus 19 and 20. But before I read those verses, let me set the stage just a little bit. The Lord has spent the first 18 chapters of Exodus delivering the people from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them out of slavery. He's delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And he's been leading them across the desert and toward Mount Sinai. And there's been a lot of complaining and rebellion and trouble on the way. But now they're finally at the mountain and God is going to meet them there. We'll pick up the story on the third day after the Israelites arrived in the mount, at the mountain. And I'm going to read the verses just before and just after the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 19, verses 16 to 25, and then Exodus 20, verses 18 to 21. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then there are verses in which the Lord gives the Ten Commandments that we read a little bit earlier in the service. And then we come to Exodus 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. A lot of our nation, especially the South, has been rocked by frightening, destructive storms this week. I was reading some particular news story this week, and I heard the story of a bunch of people in restaurants who knew the tornado was coming, so they all went and hid in one of the bathrooms. And then they heard the tornado hit, and the whole building got wiped out around them. But the bathroom stayed up, and they all came out fine. I read another story about a bunch of guys in one of those quick oil chain shops that heard the tornado coming, and they all jumped down into a pit underneath the car, and they heard their building go to pieces. Tools were flying everywhere. Broken glass was just flying in the air. Bricks were going everywhere. But after the storm passed, they all climbed out of the pit, and they were safe. 
those people were able to find a safe spot in the midst of the storm. But nature can feel tremendously out of control in situations like that. These huge, powerful, unpredictable forces are raging out there. And anybody with any sense runs for cover when those things come. People are right to be afraid of nature when flood and tornadoes and hurricanes and storms come. Now in our text for today, the Israelites see the storm coming and they tremble with fear. These natural disasters are frightening enough, but they're experiencing something that goes beyond the realm of nature into the supernatural. And they are right to be scared. This is an awesome and awful experience for the Israelites. God's power is amazing to behold, but it's also terrifying. There's thunder, there's thick clouds, there's lightning blasts coming from who knows where, and then the mountain is covered with smoke, the Lord comes down in fire, and the mountain itself seems to tremble in fear. This is like an earthquake, a tornado, and a volcano all rolled into one. And it's happening right in front of them. You know, last week I got a thunder blast right at the appropriate moment, and I was hoping for that this week, but we had nice weather instead, which is a good thing to be thankful for. But anyway, it's no wonder the people got terrified by all this. Moses leads the people right up to the foot of the mountain in Exodus 19. But by verse 20, we see the people backing up and backing up, and they're keeping their distance, and they don't want to get too close. They're trembling in fear like they're leaves caught in a tornado, and they are going to keep their distance from that mountain. Now, it might seem like God is putting on a little bit too much of a show here, but he's doing what he's doing to teach those people some lessons. God is working to keep his people safe and to teach them how to be holy. Repeatedly in chapter 9, in the section we read and for the verses before it too, the Lord warns Moses to keep the people back from the mountain so they don't get hurt or even destroyed. There are clear limits around the mountain, and nothing unholy is allowed past those limits, lest it get consumed or wiped out. There is a supernatural force up on that mountain that is not safe for people to be around. There is a powerful, perilous presence on the peak. And the Israelites recognize that. So at the end of the text they read, we read for today, they go and they beg Moses, speak to us and we'll listen. But don't have God speak to us. Don't let him get too close or we will die. The Israelites know they can't stand to live in God's perfect, powerful, perilous presence. Now all of this would have made perfect sense to anybody and everybody who lived back in the time of the Bible. And it would make all kinds of sense to people in a lot of places around the world today too. But in our culture, in our context, we just don't really get this. We don't think in terms of holiness anymore. We don't even have that conceptual category that something could be holy. We don't have this intuitive sense of the massive, terrifying distance between us and between the truly powerful divine. Our culture just doesn't go there on the idea of holiness, and we've tamed the idea of God. People in our culture these days want a nice, safe, happy God. Kevin Smith is a sort of agnostic, sort of Roman Catholic filmmaker. And in one of his movies, he portrays the Roman Catholic Church remaking itself in a new, happier image. And sort of the front for this, this reinvention of the church is this icon of a new Jesus, the Buddy Christ. 
And this buddy Jesus is a great guy. He wears a tunic with a heart on front. He gives everyone a big thumbs up and a little wink. You can sort of see him looking at you and saying, I got this. God is your pal. Give me a call if you need something. No worries, man. People in our culture want a buddy Christ. But paradoxically, people in our culture today also want a God who keeps his distance. In general, our culture is happy to let people have any God, any religion, any spirituality they want, but it's expected that you keep your God in your private life. It's great to have some kind of belief and some kind of spirituality, but you had better keep it to yourself. Keep your God up in heaven, or keep him at home, or keep him in your heart, but don't bring him to the public square. Don't let him get too close, and don't let him get wrapped up with your real life either. Just like modern Western living does amazing things to shield us from the elements, it's expanded great effort over the last decades and centuries to shield us from this holy, supernatural, awesome God. Our culture has spent decades trying to pave over the spring of holiness and spirituality. Whenever people get too interested in spiritual things or too much into holiness, our culture tries to cover it up or direct it away or channel it in some other way. We've spent years as a culture pushing God back and back and back, paving over holiness and trying to get it under control. Modern people are tremendously insulated from the weather outside, and many of the people around us have also become tremendously insulated and protected from the idea of a powerful and present Lord God Almighty. We do not in our culture often feel the crushing presence of Almighty God. And so we need to be reminded, just as the Israelites were in Exodus, that God is not safe, that he is not tame, and that he is not far off. God is a whirlwind. God comes with lightning and thunder, with smoke and fire. God is like a roaring lion. One time when we were in Nigeria, we were spending a few days in one of the cities, and we went with some friends to see the zoo. And you can guess that an African zoo doesn't have the same level of concern for, well, concern for all kinds of things, but among them public health and safety that a zoo here would. So we were looking at the lions that day, and one of our friends said, hey, you know, they're a little far away. They're kind of in the back of the cage. I know how we can get closer. So they gave us directions, and we kind of followed them around the corner, We walked through a knocked-down fence. We climbed up. We popped over the top of a hill. And all of a sudden, we were right next to the lions. The only thing between those lions, and they were hungry lions, and us was a rusty, not-too-put-together chain-link fence. When we walked up there, I could pretty much have stuck my finger through that fence and touched a lion. Well, a few seconds after we were up there, the lion suddenly tuned into our presence. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you probably can envision what a big big beast of prey or big predator looks like when it sees prey. That sort of, this is my dinner look, is what those lions were giving us. And they started shadowing us back and forth across the chain link. Now, Laura and I didn't feel too comfortable with that. So after a couple minutes, we sort of edged back down the hill. And just kind of kept walking and left our friends up there to do whatever they wanted to do. (laughs) We were coming home safe. Well, those lions weren't safe. And we felt a lot better getting down off the hill 
and getting a bit of distance between us and them. The Israelites had that same feeling in Exodus. This God who had brought them to Mount Sinai was not entirely safe, and they wanted to make sure they had just a little bit of distance. Now, of course, this holy, frightening God of Mount Sinai is also a gracious God. He had saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He had saved them from being slaughtered on the shores of the Red Sea by Pharaoh's army. He had saved them from starving to death in the wilderness. And he had brought them to the mountain to establish a relationship with him, the one true Lord God. Over and over again, God had showed his love for the people. And here at Sinai, God establishes Moses and Aaron as his mediators, and he gives his people all kinds of instructions about how they can live in his presence as a holy God. So God is gracious and compassionate in this text, but he is also a consuming fire, and unholy people cannot get too close without being consumed. The Lord God graciously comes near his people, but not too near. We see this theme repeated over and over in the Old Testament. There's always this bit of distance between God and his people. The people, even at their best, could never really stand in God's presence, and often they were running away after other tamer, safer, nicer gods. But the true God is not a tame God. Our culture wants a nice, safe, tame God who keeps his distance from us But that's not the God we have, and that's not the God we need. We don't need a safe, tame God. We need a God who is holy and who is powerful enough to fight and to defeat all the forces of evil. We need a God who is so strong and who loves us so powerfully that he is able to defeat evil in the world and the evil that we carry inside us. Jesus did not come to be our buddy. Jesus came to set us free from the evil and sin in this world. Jesus came to save our lives from the pit of alienation, of sin, and of hopelessness. Jesus did not come, give us a thumbs up, and say, hey, I'm going to be your buddy. Jesus came, and he carried his cross, and he stretched out his arms, and he suffered, and he died for us. And Jesus comes to us and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am everything you need forever. I will save you and make you holy no matter what it costs. Jesus is our bright, shining hope. He is the flash of light in the midst of the dark night of our souls. Jesus saves us. But part of that salvation is that he makes us radically different people. Jesus paid the price for our sins and he paved the way for us to be entirely holy. The Lord is still a mighty, powerful, sometimes terrifying presence, but Jesus' work has made us able to approach that holy God without being consumed. And now in our lives, God is not distant from us. In Exodus, God had to mark out limits around the mountain that the people could not go past without being consumed or killed. Now, later in the Old Testament, God marked out the, temp- the tabernacle and then the temple and the holy city even of Jerusalem as a place where God could live near, but not too near his people. And at the time of Pentecost in the New Testament, the disciples were gathered in Jerusalem 
in that place where God had had his temple, where he could be near but not too near to his people. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples, came down on God's people, and filled them and indwelled them. At Pentecost, God made a new holy space for himself, and that new space is in the hearts and lives of his people. At Pentecost, the elemental power of God, the thunder, the fire, the lightning, the wind, all of that came down to live inside of human beings and to make them burn with God's holy power. The Holy Spirit who filled the disciples on Pentecost still lives in all of God's believers today. God comes down in wind and fire still, but he comes down to live inside his people forever. And the Holy Spirit comes with fire and fills our lives with comfort and joy and peace. But the fire of the Holy Spirit also comes and burns up all the impurities in our lives. God will keep us safe in him forever. But he will do that by rooting out all of the sin, all of the unholiness, and all of the wrong in our lives. The Christian life is a furnace where God burns away our impurities. And we have to go through that furnace if we're going to live with God forever. Pentecost is a new Mount Sinai. It's one where God comes down to dwell with his people in holy fire, but to dwell inside of and with him forever. God is never content to be on the back burner in our lives. We can't control God's activity. We can't push God back up into the heavens or keep him at home on the shelf. Our God is not tame, and he is not distant. In C.S. Lewis's classic, classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's four children that get magically transported from our world to the land of Narnia. It's Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And the four of them quickly meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, a kindly old talking beaver couple who have been assigned to be their guides. And Mr. Beaver tells them that he's going to take them to meet this mysterious person called Aslan. And one of the children, Susan, asks, Who's Aslan? Aslan, says Mr. Beaver. Why don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole world. You'll understand when you see him. But, asks Lucy, another of the children, is, is he a man? Aslan, a man? Mr. Beaver replies, Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of the beasts is? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, oh, say the children. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel very nervous about meeting a lion. Well, Mrs. Beaver chimes in. That you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, asked Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And the oldest of the children chimes in. I'm longing to see him. Even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. That's right, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver. And so you shall. And as the story progresses, Aslan, who is the Christ figure in that story of Narnia, 
does some quite awesome and terrifying things. He is indeed a lion, full of power and majesty, and he is not safe, but he is good. In those stories, Aslan becomes the great sacrifice, and through his death and coming back to life, he saves a whole world. Our God is not just a safe, tame God. He comes like a lion, like the king of creation. He comes in a storm with wind and fire and thunder and lightning. But God comes to save us and to bring us to a safe place in the midst of the storm. God descends from heaven into our lives and he fills us forever with his holiness and his power. The Lord God lives in us And while he is not a safe, tame God, he will keep us safe and he will be with us forever.